You're listening to Tiger's Eye, episode 18. thunderclap rings out from above. It is at this exact moment that the masked interloper steps from the stairway and into our room. The figure that walks towards me does not smell the same as the Miguel I know. I get a flash of poison on his claws. Two different kinds of blood. Faint traces of forest flowers we never ventured near. He does not look the same, moving with a lithe purpose, masked and imposing even for his diminutive size, with something approaching the bearing of a warrior. It is yesterday that Gagaku stands before me, monstrous architect of untold horrors. What has happened to the cub? I hear whisperings within the group. Demon, they mutter. They smell the fresh kill on him and react with fear and aggression. He has slaughtered everyone else on the boat, and now he is down here for us. I gesture to the oncoming figure to raise his mask and reveal his face. I can feel the tension rising in the group, and it must be dispelled. Miguel obligingly removes the visage of the snake rat, and I can see his face. He is as afraid as we. I can see this ring of small tools clutched in his left paw and ascertain his plan. A swell of immeasurable pride begins in my heart. With the cub's help, we can perhaps succeed at our own aims with a slightly less frighteningly small chance of success. This is mingled with sorrow that he is here at all. I had prayed for his escape to safety. I reach out a paw, and he takes it with his. The warm, wet little pads clutch at mine, and I cannot hold back what happens next. I pull the cub in and hold him to my chest, gently, so as not to hurt him, but to offer comfort and safety, and in doing so, take a little for myself. It is yesterday in the city of Yamaya, My shaman is roaring at me. How could you replace Carol with him? He is right. Of course he is right. And it is time I admitted it. I call out the only thing that may reassure them. This is my son. A hush falls on the group. He has come to help us. I cannot believe I have just said these words. I dare not look towards Haka. Miguel moves and starts to work at my bonds. 
further booming. More of that thunderous retort and the baleful creaking of our wooden surroundings, along with the cries of the lions above, both dispel a little of the terror over this tiny newcomer and intensify the fear of what is out there. My bonds are off. For the first time in an age of yesterdays, I can move my paws independently. Oh. Miguel unlatches the fastenings at my lower paws, and I roll out, arcing my back and cracking my bones in ecstasy. Miguel signs to me frantically. He mimes throwing spears, hacking with axes, slicing with knives, and battering with clubs. Then he points to his eye and back up the stairs. He knows where there are weapons to be had. We have only moments to react. One, One tribe, tribe, I call out. Then I sign for clever and swift. Two pads tapped on the side of the head, and the right paw jabbed out like an arrow twice. I then point up the stairs and mime searching and spear before finally pointing to Miguel, then pull my pad back to myself to indicate returning. All of these signs have been learned and understood recently. We covered everything we might need for a coordinated attack. Miguel moves along the line, unlatching high and low cats, who begin to emerge from their bunks, crying out softly in many languages. I can now see the ones still tied down, offering up their bonds freely to be opened, and the tide has turned to one of relief and gratitude. Opal Eye and his black-tufted hunting partner, Merrick, step down to the floor. Protect the cub. Opal Eye murmurs to his companion, and Merrick is the first to go and stand with Miguel. I mime thank you, and several more cats join this party. Okay, let's go. They disappear up the stairway as I continue with the unlatching myself, handing out the spare keys to several other eager cats as we spread throughout the group. A large part of me did not want to let the cub leave my side again. But I must trust in both his abilities to defend himself and to navigate the halls of this boat, which he clearly has some familiarity with. I spot a cheetah named Darish moving down the bunks. He is the cousin of one of those we saw murdered yesterday, and he is nearing Haka. I sprint over. Haka, I say. He does not turn to look at me. Haka! A slow turn in cold eyes. Are you going to let him be? I ask. In response, he blinks slowly, shutting me out. Fine. Two can play at that game. Not this one, I call up to Arash and every other cat bearing a key. There are paw steps on the stairway and we ready ourselves for combat. Miguel emerges, followed by his party. They are staggering under the weight of dozens of weapons. They pass them out along the line and we swiftly arm ourselves. Miguel presents me with my two spears, and I take them with gratitude, hefting and squeezing the familiar hilts. We are ready. The room shakes again. 
For the first time, I spot water beginning to trickle in through the cracks in the far wall behind the bunks. This boat is sinking. We outnumber the lions up there by double, maybe triple, but this will still be immensely dangerous for us all. We divide into our factions of strong, cunning, and swift. Standing at the foot of the steps, I use both paws to form a mane around my head before running a pad across my throat. This much should be obvious to all already. I feel a paw on my arm. It is Chief Shala. He says words I only partially understand. Glam speaks for him. He says, leave some alive. She holds up a paw, splaying out her pads. This many. Why? I ask. To take us home. How could I have been so foolish? None of us here know how to control a boat of this size. We have been so focused on breaking free and enacting our vengeance that the idea of mercy, even calculated mercy, was never brought up. The message is translated and passes through the group swiftly. I pray it is understood. The shuddering and thunderous roll again, and I finally recognize the sound of the brass tube which caused us such pain. I look at Miguel, who has been on the deck above. My cub mimes to me the waving flipper paw symbol for fish then holds his paws apart, indicating big. Then he begins to move them farther apart, until his forelimbs are stretched to maximum length. The other cats eye him nervously. In response, I slowly hold up my paw, weaving it back and forth, thumb upward, to indicate a tall fin. I have not taught them the sign for fish, but they seem to understand nonetheless. Then I run my pad across my throat once more. If it breathes, we can kill it. Finally, I hold a paw over my mouth. We must be quiet as mice. Taking one last look at Haka, still fastened to his bunk, yet captive in so many other ways. I lower my head in resolution, then heft my spears as we move. As one quiet wave, we proceed up the steps and out onto the deck. I see the lions milling around the tube pointed down to the water. Above us, at the great wooden wheel used to direct the boat, one lioness in red is roaring and turning with all of her might. I gesture to the panthers and then at this lioness, holding up a paw, and then pulling one pad. Keep her alive. The duck moves under us, leaning again to the left, as many lose their grip and are borne down. Their scrabbling makes far too much noise. Miguel scurries up onto my shoulder and holds on. 
A roar of dismay from over on the right, and the golden tube begins to slowly turn around and towards us. In horror, I realize I am too far away. We are exposed, and now cats will die because of my distraction. The strongest group has already begun to move. A gray blur arcs in from the left, and a single tiger charges out in front to stand across the opening of the weapon. A sickening thunderclap rings out again, and Opali is propelled back against the deck. I hear Merrick cry out in utter grief and fury, and our groups divide and surge in on the lions, battering them down, cutting throats, and hacking off limbs. It is by far the ugliest battle I have ever been part of. The lions are trapped in panic between two deadly threats. Many try to reload their long weapons, only to be bodily tossed over the side. Some clinging to and tumbling with my companions to crash down into the water far below. Again, I search for Mohawk, seeking only to end him in this battle. I find myself grappling with others, my spears darting left and right in close quarters, finding their marks with focused precision. The lions fight with brutal instinct, but no art. They hack and jab at us in a frenzy, but the cats who share my fluid style of the serpent wind our bodies around the attacks, turning their limbs back to make our disabling and killing blows in flashes of striped, spotted, and black fur. Some keep their stances wide and solid, twisting their opponents into crushing grapples, resembling the gorilla style I am familiar with. Others dive from the air and strike like the falcon. Our claws are sharp, our blades sharper still, and our cuts and blows open and connect with shocking rapidity. In a moment, it is over, and the only remaining cats alive on deck are not lions. We peer over the side and catch a glimpse of a boiling river. Cats thrash around and cry out, only to be sucked under the waves which roll crimson. Under them, a dark shape moves. I spot its fin emerging far over on the right and then descending again, an enormous tail thrashing well behind it. The shadow moves down and away. I cannot see how we can damage this thing from up here. None of us know how to use the golden tube, and even the lions who employed that weapon were having no success. Across the way, up at the top of the boat, I can see my panther companions have several lions down but alive, including the chief in the red and their healer. Merrick crouches next to the mauled body of Opal Eye. He is already dead. But Merrick speaks softly to him, nonetheless. 
Words I do not need to make out to understand their gravity. Behind us, the sea begins to flurry as the beast approaches again, gliding towards us at great speed. Its intentions to ram into the side and begin the sinking in earnest are clear. The boat must be saved. I pull Miguel down from my shoulder and stand him beside Merrick, then point at the hunters and the warriors, at myself, and then over the side, directly at the gathering shadow under the waves. There is a ripple of nodding heads as we clear a run up on the deck. The leopard Liseth, a hunter I nearly killed only yesterday, is among those who join me. As is Rikish the Jaguar and Arish the Cheetah. I have only one brief moment to take a last look at Miguel before I begin to charge. If they can get him back to my forest, I believe now, looking at how he stands, that he will find his own way. My paws thump across the deck as we sprint to the very edge and leap, taking to the air. A pack of brave, strong, magnificent felines sailing down in a graceful arc, drawing up our spears to strike in unison as this nightmare of the deep emerges to meet us. You have been listening to Tiger's Eye, written and edited by Alex Shaw, with a full cast. Rao was performed by Maureen Foley. Opal Eye was performed by Ian Hopwood. Glam performed by Loretta Saylor. Shala performed by Matt Wardle. Miguel and Marek performed by Alex Shaw. The main theme was Agent in Shanghai, composed by 1M1 Music of Shockwave Sound. The Escalation, Stormfront, Plaint and Whimsy Groove, performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Flight Hymn, performed by Ross Bugden, whose work can be found on his YouTube channel. Our special Patreon sponsors and contributors this month were Ian Hopwood, Megan Hopwood, Nick Grugan, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, David Garcia Abril, Maureen Foley, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Lorraine Chisham, Livio Dela Cruz, Scott Corzine, Dan Mayer, and Erish Travers. And remember, you can help the fanbase for this story grow, making the world a better place for everyone by giving us a great review on iTunes.